Hello and welcome to the Make Peace with Your Religious Past podcast. I'm Sherry Jamison, your host. In each episode, I interview people with interesting religious backgrounds and spiritual journeys. My guests share their authentic stories from their religion of origin, not to blame or complain, but to heal, learn, and support others who want to make peace with their religious past. If you're looking for even more support on your healing journey, check out religionoforigin.com to learn about a confidential and self-paced online program that guides you step-by-step in healing, exploring your truth, and growing your spiritual self-confidence. Today, I am so honored and excited to welcome Reverend Martha Creek. Uh, Martha is a delightful woman who I've had the pleasure to get to know through my work at Unity World Headquarters. Um, You can go to her website, marthacreek.com, to see all of her amazing credentials and background and story. Um, But my personal experience of her, and I'm sure you'll experience this in our conversation today, is just the loving that exudes from her presence. Um, She is generous and kind Uh, She brings gifts (laughs) to us at Unity, and uh, she's also part of the Associated New Thought Network. So um, thank you, Martha, for being here and sharing your story. Thank you. It's an absolute privilege to do this. I'm very excited about this. When you use keywords like healing and looking into our past, learning from our past, and integrating any Um, parts of our past. I'm all about it. And I bow to you and the listeners for your courageous willingness to go into this journey and absolutely bless what happens here in this exchange and interchange as absolute contribution to the whole of humanity as we all um, grow our radiance and uh, reclaim the parts of ourselves that may have been suppressed or depressed or disowned or mm-hmm. misunderstood or anything else. So it's an absolute delight. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So Martha, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your religious background, your religion of origin, and what it was like growing up. Well, I grew up in a family that didn't go to church. And in the past, they referred to going to Baptist churches, but I'd never been in a Baptist church or seen any of them in a Baptist church. Mm. And I told my mother at a young age that I want to go to church. I had a real calling to go to church. And she said in her classic Mama Creek, Virginia Creek style, Mm. then go to church, find somebody to take you to church, go Mm. find a church and find somebody to take you to church. And I did. So I started calling the neighbors to find out where they go to church and could I go with them? Mm-hmm. And I went to a, one church, a, the church, I picked the church closest to our house, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting looking back that it, I didn't branch out any further than what's the nearest church to this house. That also speaks to my practicality. <laughs> um, I went into that particular church and I got a real um, intense um, reaction to a certain man that was there. And I wouldn't go back to that church. Mm. And I told my mother, I'm not going back. And that there was some man there that was creepy Mm. to me. And she told me not to speak about that because he was an important role in that church. And Mm. for me not to speak that, what I just uh, experienced. And later it came out that he was actually molesting his two young daughters. Oh no! I'm very grateful then for my own intuition 
you know, about that and following my intuition, even at a young age, to be self-defined and convicted enough to know where, what a, where a place was and where it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And the next place was with people I loved dearly, uh, people that had uh, been um, na- close neighbors and babysat for me a lot. And it was a meth- happened to be a Methodist church. Mm-hmm. And I found a place there that I very much love and a Sunday school teacher that I adored who put me to work, which is right up my alley, gave me assignments, gave me jobs, gave me teaching jobs, gave me um, scriptures to memorize and all sorts of things. And I didn't really believe what they were teaching um, in some ways as relative to God being a punishing God or that I had to redeem myself with God or anything like that. As a small child, I just, I just didn't buy that. I, mm-hmm. I, I just it didn't align with what I already believed. And I had some very strong convictions, even as a child, about the nature of God and, the, and, and divinity and being born into innocence and instead of into separation or sin. So I decided to tell her one day um, that I believe that she knew my secret and that I could tell her, I didn't really believe God was a punishing God. And when I told your your Sunday school teacher, teacher. Okay. And I told her like, I'm going to keep doing all this, but I I know that, you know, and I'm going to tell you that I know now that God's not really a punishing God and we don't have to be worried about God and afraid of God. And it really panicked her. Wow. How old were you then? I'd say about 11. Wow. 10 or 11. Hmm. And I saw then that I really couldn't speak that anymore. Hmm. That it panicked her. And looking back on it, it would because she would think that I'm a lost sheep. You know, you had care of my soul. Mm-hmm. And in believing what she believes, she would have panicked, you know, that I had been lost in some way. So yeah. I uh, kept that quiet from that point on. Mm-hmm. And years later, um, when I started looking, when, and I knew as, as a small child, even when I was three years old, I spoke out loud, um, I'm a minister, I'm going to be a minister. Oh, Wow. And it panicked my family because they had never heard of such a thing Mm. and women can't be ministers. So it was funny for a minute. Like, Oh, that's really funny. Ha ha ha. Then it was like, Oh dear goodness. She actually believes it. So Mm. um, that had to be redirected somehow. So I started saying, I'm going to be a teacher. And then all my little, what am I going to be when I grow up books besides astronaut? The only thing I ever wrote was um, teacher. And I believe it's truer to my role as minister that uh, I believe minister is a verb and teacher is more of a, of of the profession that I'm in. And Mm. and frankly, it's more of a student that appears as a teacher. So Mm. years later, decades later, as I was telling people about my belief systems and was looking for a church and which seminary I'm going to attend and things like that. The responses were all oh, your unity or all oh, your religious science or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was when it first came into my awareness was other people seeing that I didn't really relate to some of those um, more traditional contemporary fundamental yeah. and that I would, I would be more aligned to what unity, religious science and, and new thought believed relative to primarily relative to the nature of God. Wow. Well, it was kind of lucky that they were able to put a name to it. Like, I, th- I think there are a lot of people who 
who have their truth inside of them, but have no words to it or don't think that there's any community out there that reflects what they believe in. Um, so that's really, that's really wonderful. Um, so what was, was there a turning point for you in the, when you were in that Methodist church um, that eventually you um, stopped going or was it then at seminary, that choice point that you were making that decision? Yeah, I didn't stop going, but I, I stopped engaging as much. Mm. And I actually was invited by a woman in the church that I love very dearly. I love, love, love this woman. And when my Sunday school teacher was another woman and she came and invited me to come to the altar to be saved to go through an altar call and to be saved. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, I did, I thought there's, I don't, there's nothing to save me from. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going to the altar for her basically mm -hmm. that I didn't have enough self, you know, as a young kid to say, this is not necessary. And I could see how much it meant to her. Mm -hmm. So I actually went to the altar for an altar call and said, admitted and said out loud, I've been saved. Um, and it was in some way to meet her and her needs or mm -hmm. to uh, appease or accommodate or something like that. The next step in that process was to be baptized and I wouldn't be baptized. So I, I went as far as I could with it and said that I don't see, I don't personally have a need for baptism mm -hmm. that there's, um, um, it's, it's, it's not true for me. So that was, that was close to the end of that and then yeah. by then I was um, you know growing up and getting into high school and things like that and my participation after that was to be in a choir and go visit churches and that was more out of the adventure of getting to go visit other churches and things like that to explore other uh, ways and means of, of expressing and um, connections with God communion with God and what other people believe so it was much more about that than it was that particular religion. Hmm. What did you visit uh, other denominations or other religious paths? What, what was that like? It was um, the all local and we were there to, to do some kind of singing presentation. So I never really got into the theology. My thing oh, was believing that I would actually get to see what they actually believe and explore what they believe. And it was more like we were there just to do a presentation, a singing, like a, like a little choir or something. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So tell me a little bit more about your spiritual practice now and, um, and what's meaningful to you about it. Well, it, I have, I've had, I've been at this for decades now. <laughs> I've done so many things and I still explore and I I'm trained in transcendental meditation I've set a Pasana meditation, um, nine, nine nights and 10 days of mm -hmm. uh, noble silence uh, a few times. Uh, and that I'm really resonant with that. I'm, I'm extremely introverted, which people can't believe or don't see mm. the profession I'm in and the way that I present to the world. But it requires to do all that also requires a great deal of balance, including times of silence mm -hmm. and solitude. And it's, that's the, the most critical part of my spiritual practice is to make sure that I take those times for silence and solitude. Mm -hmm. um, I absolutely am in, I was shown as a little kid again, a vision of two giant keys for life. And the keys were 
taller than the Empire State Building, taller than the World Trade Center, taller than Jack and the Beanstalk. They were the tallest things going and two keys. And one was forgiveness and one was gratitude. Mm. And I've taken that very seriously through my life. So daily forgiveness, minute to minute forgiveness, deep, deep, deep inner work around forgiveness annually to do a purification processes to um, um, one of the workshops that I facilitate is called the journey within. And Mm -hmm. it's actually looking at any of the crumbs and little, little, things that we don't get when we move the boulders, when we move the boulders through forgiveness and then those little more sandy pieces or those that are a little more obscure or have a tendency for another trip in there. So I'm really intentional about looking at anything that I've not forgiven or anything I'm still resenting mm-hmm. that happened and catching the themes of that for my life. And then that, that so forgiveness and gratitude are daily practices too express thanks to write thank you cards to emails to speak gratitude to people and i do that more intensively annually too through periods of reflection to think about where my spiritual insights have come from and how i'm spiritually inspired who's blessing me and who's been a big support for my own soul's evolution my own soul's progress through the years and Mm -hmm. to do a more thorough um, annual visit of, of gratitude also. So, I like, I like that. It's like your annual physical, you know, you go and, and this is when you do forgiveness and spiritual work. And that's beautiful. Like, and like the health of our body or our mind, honey, it's like daily forgiveness, daily gratitude, then six months checkups and then annual <laughs> deep clinging, if you will, yeah. deep clearing. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And of course, all sorts of meditative processes. I've been through mystery schools, initiations of mystery schools, holotropic mm-hmm. breath work, um, uh, the Hoffman Institute, um, their processes. So uh, there's not many stones unturned for me um, as, as far as what I'm willing to look at and willing to undo. And I consider it all spiritual practice. Mm. Um, so since forgiveness is such a huge part of your spiritual practice, have you, have you had to do much work around your religious past? I really didn't. I didn't, I never condemned it. I didn't feel harmed by it. I absolutely could see even as a young child that this is what works for them and they're absolutely entitled to it. It just didn't work for me. And most of it worked for me. And frankly, it was Hmm. only little tiny little shards that didn't work for me. So even the majority of it did and it still does today. And I'm very glad about that because then I'm out, I'm out in the world. I'm out serving and I'm out to serve those who are serving. So it's very important to me that I allow, allow, allow a deep understanding and grace and mercy to all people on their spiritual paths and in their religious traditions. And it's not my right or my uh, uh, responsibility to question what other people believe or to put my theology or religious beliefs upon someone else. Mm -hmm. So I'm very honoring of other people's choices. And it's very, it's just clear as a bell to me that people are practicing what they believe 
um, for, to, for their own support. So it's like they get to do them, I get to do me. And it, whatever path they choose and whatever beliefs they have belong to them, they're not mine. So I don't have any, I don't have any condemnation or really mm -hmm. anything to undo or to forgive about that. And those teachers and preachers was absolutely doing so out of generosity and care and deep love. So mm. it's the opposite of needing something to forgive. Mm. Wow. So a great gratitude for them because they were offering me what they love. Mm. And they were offering me what works for them. Mm -hmm. So very generous. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. Yeah. Where all the, all the people, all the players in your life in that religion of origin were sharing what they thought was best, what, what had worked for them. And, and it was from a loving place. Absolutely. And out of care and concern. And um, just like anything we love, we offer it to the people we love too. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's what we believe or think or come, come to my church or come to my restaurant or here to eat my favorite foods or whatever. It's done out of enthusiasm, excitement, and absolute care mm. for the other person. And thankfully I had enough self, even as a young child to um, see the uh, grace and the love of it. And to also be honest and clear that it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't what I believed that I yeah. didn't have a conviction for that. Yeah. Did you get any sort of pushback um, other than the reaction that you described of your, your Sunday school teacher when you made that decision that it wasn't really the path that you were going to stay on forever? Um. <laughs> no, I didn't. And I think it's because that I stayed engaged though. I didn't cut off from her. I didn't shut down. Mm -hmm. um, I still was a participant. I was very into the learning, the teaching, the Sunday school aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Um, as again, she put me to work. I had jobs, so I got to be the t teacher assistant. Mm -hmm. So I found ways to make it work. And she was very important to me mm. all the way to the end of her life. Yeah. Wow. And did your parents play any role in, in your religious upbringing? Not Beyond really. Allowing you to go to and explore? Really? They didn't. We didn't speak about church or is it we never went, you know, they never went to church. Mm -hmm. uh, other than for a funeral, you know, or something like that. So no, mm -hmm. not for church services. And they didn't mind that I go, but there was no discussion about it mm -hmm. uh, as far as what we're learning or what's being taught there or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And my mom had questions later in her life about what I believe. And um, she was a little shocked that she actually believed more in accordance with how I believe mm -hmm. than how was raised to believe or what she actually thought she believed when she began to examine that more carefully. And I was absolutely not promoting this. Um, it was, it came from her a very clear kind of clean, authentic, integral conversation with what is it you, Martha, that you actually believe? What is it you believe? And it brought a lot of comfort to her because based on her belief system, both her husband, my father, and my baby brother who had died would be in hell. They would be condemned and spend eternity in hell based on that belief and how they were and how they lived and mm -hmm. what they believed 
and, and didn't believe what they would want no part of any kind of religious something. Mm-hmm. And in my belief system, um, they, they had already been to hell <laughs> mm. and they were, they were, uh, returned to source and, um, to an infinite eternal spirit, um, free of condemnation. And that brought a lot of comfort to her. Mm. Were these conversations happening at, towards the end of her life or was it in the last, in the last five years, not right at the end, but the last five years. And mm-hmm. that day that she asked me these questions, I had gone to church with her. Um, so she, after she had a sister-in-law that passed and she was wanting her brother to get out of the house and get back to church and stuff. And he wouldn't do it. And he said, I'll go to church with you. I'll go to church if you go with me. Mm-hmm. So that got her to church. And when I was home, which was often once a month, um, I would go to church, take her to church, drive her and take her to church, mm-hmm. uh, take flowers and get uh, gifts and things like that and get to see mm-hmm. the people in the community there too. And it was on one of those trips back from that church that day. And she never went again. Hmm. She never went back to church after that day. After that conversation with you about the belief system. Hmm. Hmm. Was, do you know, was it a... I'm just curious if it was a, like a, another Methodist church or was it a Baptist church that she was, she and her brother were going to Baptist church, Baptist church. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And it was the, it was the church that in their mind, that was their family church, which always mm. was always shocking to me that they spoke about church and referred to our church and stuff. And they'd never been in one. So huh. at least in my lifetime. Interesting. So it's, so you came out, knowing that you wanted to be a minister and into this non-religious family um, and really pursued your own path even through, through the entire course of, of their lives and, and your family's life together. Wow. Yeah. And we, and even during all that time we, there wasn't a lot of talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. They would probably have seen it more through a framework of I'm a teacher also. Yeah. And part of it would have been they would have op- wanted to open conversations around um, in that small rural place that there's Martha's a minister because most of them still believe there's no such thing as a woman minister mm-hmm. um, in those denominations. Now, over the decades, they've, they've loosened up and some of the doors are open now, you mm-hmm. know, for clergy, women clergy, uh, but not, not, not all that much. But there's, mm-hmm. there's some openings there and some shifting over 40 years. But back then, the opening wasn't obvious or existent. Hmm. What advice would you give uh, or what would you recommend to people who might be struggling with their religion of origin or their family or um, just questioning their belief system? Well, to continue to question it and to see what is actually true for them. Um, I'd also caution about not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. Parts of it were absolutely applicable, uh, meaningful. And it's like, I can't, don't, not to isolate one incident or one teacher or one year or one preacher or something and throw the whole lot out because of that. Mm-hmm. Versus trying to step back and getting a much more broader perspective about the teaching, about the fundamentals of the teaching, and um, to, to clarify in their own mind that aspects of it were, were helpful, even, and supportive, and particularly for the time that we were in. It mm. made sense 
same now. We may have, you know, we outgrow things, things that we even love and cherish. Over time, we don't like it anymore. It, it leaves us, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Just a shoe that doesn't fit. And I'd also encourage people to not to treat it like it, the sky is falling. Like whatever happened in our religious past is not uh, fatal. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's what human beings have been doing since human creation. So whatever went on in the religious orders and in the religious past is not all that shocking when you look at it from a broader perspective of, of humanity and what human beings have been doing since human beings have been human beings. Mm -hmm. and what went on in the religious orders and in the churches and the ministries and the various religious arms is, is not all that shocking from that place. So um, mm -hmm. to not diminish if they were hurt or harmed or you know, in some way. Um, and to also look to see how, I, for me, it's so important to look to see how it benefited me mm -hmm. um, and how that even though it wasn't what I believe or it wasn't a match for my own convictions, there was absolute value in it. And I have been progressed and awakened and aligned and it's been a part of my salvation, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, all of it. Now, when you use that word now, what does that mean to you? Well, um, it teaches me what to do and what not to do. Hmm. And it's, it's salvation from falling into a false belief system hmm. or a belief system that doesn't align with me. Um, that's not true for me. Um, it's also indicative of, uh, it's not me to judge others. Mm -hmm. Like, my salvation also includes for me not to condemn and judge others based on what they believe and how they worship and what they want to worship, mm -hmm. um, what they call it or what their practices are or anything else that my salvation requires me to um, allow for the whole spectrum and to allow for everything that goes with being humans. And whether it's, this doesn't have to be my pick or my favorite or my way, um, but it, the, the way, the way includes all those ways mm. and it's vital then. And for my peace of mind and my functioning and my heart, um, it's vital for me to make room for it all. So for anybody else who can, uh, there's a great liberation. Wonderful. Well, is there anything else that, um, that you want to share? Um, I would just share that I think if we saw every way as a way and did a little less thinking about the way mm -hmm. or my way is the way that we're going to, I'm going to have an easier life when I do that. I have an easier life now when I do that. So it seems like to encourage that. And then regarding spiritual practices, I, I, it was seemed important to me today to say that just because Martha Creek or other teachers do spiritual practices like that, it doesn't make it right for everybody else. So I would encourage everybody though, to have a spiritual practice and to be very close to it and whatever their teaching is. And it, if it is the Bible, get close to the Bible and use it. And if it's mm -hmm. Course of Miracles, use the Course of Miracles. And if it's the Quran or the Tao or whatever, the Bhagavad Gita, whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is, 
whatever your teaching is, get close to the teaching and use the teaching. And then to have a spiritual practice that is absolutely tried and true and um, to not to try to do it right or try to be like others in that, but to do what's absolutely effective and what brings you toward your own goals yeah. for how you want to be in the world and how you want to live your life. So it sounds, again, very practical. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely ascribe to that as well. And that your spiritual practice, you can have a spiritual practice even if you're not involved with a church. Um, for sure. For mm -hmm. sure. And, mm -hmm. and I think important distinction, honey, to, to make here about that, that, that what's, what we do spiritually um, may not have any reference whatsoever to most religions or religious beliefs or something like that. So it's, it's more a care for our spirit, mm. uh, spiritual care and spiritual love to the self, the spirit aspect of ourselves is is more of what I'm referring to than having mm -hmm. an organization or, you know, a place. And if that's important, knock yourself out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that, that there's, there's room for it all and people can feel free to explore. And it sounds like it's, there's really a, a, a process of discernment inside about your own, what is true for you. Um, and where you find spiritual nourishment, however that looks, and then, you know, an experimentation if, if you haven't found it yet. Um, I know that, you know, my spiritual life has, has woven in different directions over the course of time, and some of that's been painful, some of it's been just my own, um, you know, resistance. And, and, and I, I really related to what you said before about, you know, doing something for somebody else, either religiously or spiritually, um, or for the look of it, or, um, and I think that it's so important to come, come back around to, yeah, what is, what is true for you? More and more, I find that I feel like spirituality is very similar to one's sexuality because it's such an internal process and like nobody else is inside your head. Nobody else is inside your body. So how could anyone else possibly tell you how you experience that? And at the same time, it can be very challenging. There's a lot of social um, pressures, if you will, uh, to adhere to a certain thing. And so I, that's, that's something that I've been exploring and encouraging my students uh, and listeners to find what is, what is that for them? Well, I bravo to you and bow to you and then you, me, the listeners, whoever's there to absolutely accept that they're going to tell us what to do. They're going to put their belief systems, their religious belief systems, their sexual belief systems, their social belief systems, what we should eat, how we should dress is all going to be put upon us. And it's the nature of the human to do that, to say that their way is the right way. So then anything that's not that way is then the wrong way which is the B-A-D way. <laughs> so if it's not like them and how they believe and how they think and how they express whatever, 
it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be wrong or bad or negative in some way. And my primary healing, and maybe this is one of the most important pieces here, has been to get that line down between good and bad and to accept that it's going to be the full spectrum. Mm -hmm. that, that for if I go out in the world believing that people does not have people do not have a right to put their belief systems off on me, then I'm delusional. Um, so whether they have a right to do it or not, they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. It's necessary, vital, incumbent on me for me not to do that, to be in my own integrity, mm -hmm. for me to allow them to believe what they believe and how they believe and to accept that they're going to put their belief systems over on me over and over and over again, and to continue my own practices of discernment and seeing what is true for me and not rejecting the whole thing or throwing the whole thing out without actually seeing, is there an aspect of this that could benefit me or where do I align with their beliefs? And one thing that was coming to mind is um, um, this week, somebody told me they didn't want um, people calling in Jesus when they prayed, like they're absolutely opposed to that. Mm -hmm. And they didn't believe that. And I absolutely could not support that, that I believe you ought to call in in your prayer, whoever you want to call in, in your prayer. And if it's Kuan Yin, Mary, Jesus, uh, Mother Mary, uh, uh, whoever, that you're, you would use whatever you feel uh, comforted by mm -hmm. and supported by and then I get quite a bit of opposition to old hymns not wanting to use old hymns mm -hmm. from the old religious past and I absolutely find comfort in those hymns mm -hmm. and it just like certain pieces of scripture that I memorized as a kid that I still have in my memory um, that those things were comforting to me including those old hymns and I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't promote them or stand up and ask the other people to sing them or something like that. But um, I also can't deny, honestly, that they, that they were benefited me and that I found a great deal of comfort in them. So mm -hmm. parts of the religious past um, have been not only um, meaningful, but very foundational. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Martha. This has just been um, enlightening and uh, connected. And I just, I love you so much. You're, you're one of my favorite people. <laughs> you know, honey, I love you too. I cannot help it. I love <laughs> this. It was a delight, a privilege for me to do it. And I bless it and bless you as you continue to explore and to share your gifts with the world to keep us thinking and to keep us discerning, and to keep us truthful, and evolving, and awesome. any way I can ever support that, it's yours. Thank you. To my listeners, now I want to hear your stories and feedback. If you have comments, questions, or would like to share your story on this podcast, you can contact me through my website, religionoforigin.com, follow our Facebook page, Make Peace With Your Religious Past, or email me at sherry at sherryjameson.com. Thanks again, Martha. Have a beautiful day. Blessings, honey.